filibuster, filibuster freestyle, filibuster, filibuster. Watch out for the filibuster. Filibuster freestyle. Oh yeah, ladies and gentlemen, that's right. It's the filibuster freestyle. It's your buddy Gavin. And the Red Sox are in the World Series again. 2018. They're playing the Dodgers. So much to get to about this. In a bit, our buddy JJ, aka Jeremy Johnson. CEO and creator of Man Cook Good is going to come on and join us live from Los Angeles. Jeremy has been in Los Angeles since I think like 2002. He's pretty much celebrated every Red Sox championship as a resident of Los Angeles. So he's got a unique perspective as somebody who's lived in LA for the better part of you know a decade and a half, but who's been a lifelong Boston sports fan. Um, so I'm really looking forward to Jeremy's take. But I figured before we bring JJ on, I wanted to have a little bit of fun. Um, so first of all, please is listening. Not that that's fun or not fun, but it's, sometimes it's fun to know who's listening and where they are. Top city of the week, Atlanta, Georgia, followed by Chicago, Dallas, a little place called Jawal Akal, excuse me, Nepal, Cape Town, South Africa, Budapest, over there in Hungary, and actually... Los Angeles. Ironic that more people this week in Los Angeles listen to the freestyle than in Boston, considering we're about to do a very Boston-focused podcast, but with our buddy from L.A., Jeremy Johnson, who, by the way, just texted me. See what he says. He said he's going to hit me up when they're back from the, pre- the excuse me, the playground. <laughs> would have been a funnier, would have been a funnier read if I got it right the first time, but J.J., uh, and his wife, Chloe, who's been a pundit on the show before, and their daughter are at the playground. They're in L.A. It's only, you know, 4 o'clock Pacific time, though it's 7 o'clock here in the East. So I'm going to let Jeremy know with the old thumbs up emoji <clears throat> that that's good news. Anyway, the bottom line is, um, as I text and talk, not that I have to, I can easily stop and not do this, but let's just have some fun with JJ. Why not? Um, bottom line is, The country's listening, the nation's listening, besides the U.S. last week. The Philippines, who's been on a very hot streak in recent weeks. Respect to our friends and much love to our friends in the Philippines. The United Kingdom, the Netherlands, the Czech Republic, several other countries, but, you know, the the critical mass was in those countries there. So I mentioned before I named those countries, and I mentioned before J.J. texted me and I decided to break the fourth wall of the show and text him back during the broadcast here on the Filibuster Freestyle. Uh, I mentioned I wanted to have some fun. So, remember the Chappelle show? Of course you do. There was a skit on the Chappelle show in which Dave Chappelle shared his views, kind of like similar worldviews, but from the perspectives of him at 18, him at 24, and him at 30. So, kind of like over a 12-year period of his then-adult life, he was kind of giving hot takes on where he was, what he was thinking, and obviously it was tongue-in-cheek, but it got me thinking that as the Red Sox make their fourth World Series appearance since 2004, um, which I believe is basically 15 seasons, maybe I could do a little check-in on like where I was, what I was doing, what I was thinking, and some things that st- stuck out to me personally during the last three Red Sox um, Really, them clinching their the, the World Series berth. 
Um, clearly, the Red Sox have not yet even played a game in the 2018 World Series. I would never be so ostentatious as to say uh, to make a pick right now. I haven't even talked to our expert Jeremy Johnson yet. So my point is, I want to talk about where I was when they when the Red Sox won the 2004 American League Championship Series, the one in 2007, the one in 2013. Um, before I do that, though, do this: if you have an iPhone, go to your podcast app. Search Filibuster Freestyle. Subscribe to the Freestyle. And if you feel like it, leave us a review. And pretty please make it a positive one. We really appreciate it. So let's look at, and now JJ's texting me again. So really quickly, let's do a breaking news on JJ's status real quickly. Oh, so remember how a couple seconds ago, this is actually ridiculous that I'm doing this, but Jeremy said he was at the playground. I gave him a thumbs up emoji. Which, by the way, some people hate that. Some people love that. I'm a fan. Regardless, Jeremy, a true child of the 90s, like myself, said, at the playground. And then he wrote, Aisha, you are the girl that I never had, and I want to get to know you better. So that's hot breaking texts from Jeremy Johnson. Fantastic stuff. We, we appreciate that greatly. That's why he's a pundit and the CEO of Man Cook Good. All right, where was I? Oh, yeah. One more thing. The Patriots, I just want to point this out. The Patriots have obviously gone to multiple Super Bowls in the last 17, 17 seasons, 18 seasons, since 2000, since 2001. But I was thinking about, like, why haven't we ever checked in with where we were when the Patriots were doing this? Well, first of all, the Patriots tend to make the Super Bowl uh, in bunches, and then they had a big break there for a while. Um, but they've kind of been really good in the regular season for the last 17 years in a row, with the exception of, like, two or three seasons. So it's more of an effective Dave Chappelle-esque check-in with the Red Sox because we can only really check in when they're really, really good and win the American League. And though they have the highest payroll and almost always do or are in the top three every year, base, baseball is just so darn random that it doesn't always work. So here we go. 2004, I'm living in Worcester, Mass. I'm working three part-time jobs. I'm probably, I don't know, like 20, 24 years old, 23 years old, something like that. The sting of the 2003 Brett Boone homer when the Yankees beat the Red Sox in the 2003 ALCS is still fresh. The Red Sox were still viewed as being cursed. The Red Sox came back in 2004 being down 3-0 to the Yankees, winning in Yankee Stadium, exercising demons upon demons upon demons. What do I remember from that clincher? Uh, Aside from the Sox got out to a huge lead, Johnny Damon went bonkers. Sox were up big. And it seemed like there was no way to bring the life back in to Yankee Stadium. The Red Sox had, I think they were up something crazy, like 11-3 to or something like that, or 8-3. to And all of a sudden, Terry Francona, first-year manager, decides he's going to bring out Pedro Martinez. Really for no good reason other than maybe get Pedro some confidence going into the, a likely World Series. But Pedro had been victim of several bad starts to the uh, Yankees that year. And every time he would pitch... After an ignominious soundbite he had during the regular season, the Yankees crowd would just chant, who's your daddy, who's your daddy, as 56,000 voices raining down on him in unison, who's your daddy. And really, the, 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 like the la- that was the last gasp of the old Yankee Stadium and the ghost of Babe Ruth owning the Red Sox with that last who's your daddy chant. Luckily, the Red Sox were up by enough runs. Pedro got out of the jam. Sox went on to win the World Series. And the weirdest thing about that World Series sweep on the Cardinals in 2004 
was that this, the World Series itself, which the Red Sox hadn't won since 1918, almost took a back seat to the fact that the Red Sox got to the World Series by beating the Yankees after being down 3 nothing. So as opposed to the climax of the World Series, it was really the epilogue. But the real epilogue was Andrew Patterson, our good friend of the show, walking down Lexington Avenue in New York City in November of 2004 in a hat and Red Sox shirt. Red Sox hat, Red Sox shirt. And he and I happening upon the great Spike Lee walking in the other direction on Lexington Avenue. And Spike Lee seeing Andrew Patterson and his eyes and his face doing all the talking and that he had to acknowledge that Andrew Patterson and the Red Sox, for the moment, had a one-up on him. And he did it all without saying a word. The other thing I remember about the, uh, the 2004 Red Sox is that, remember we called them the idiots. They were kind of like this fun-loving bunch. And the concept that they needed to kind of be this team of utter free spirits and utter irrational confidence guys was the only way they could escape the baggage of the curse of the Bambino. Life-changing stuff. So that was me around like 23, 24, 25. Okay, probably 25 actually, now that I do the math very quickly. Here we go, because I'm doing the math of 07 when I was definitely 28. 2007 was very different than 2004 in that it was the year the Sox proved they could win as frontrunners. But not without drama. The J.D. Drew Grand Slam. The guy, I think he signed like a $60 million deal back when a $60 million deal was a lot of money. And he essentially gave them nothing for it. Like basically nothing at all, except for that Grand Slam. And the Sox were down 3-1. And Yankees fans, uh, sorry, my fault. Indians fans were like already booking their World Series tickets, things like that, things of that nature. And somehow J.D. Drew hits... A grand slam, 420 feet, Fenway Park. Sox get back into the series, 3-2, wind up winning it 4-3, go on to another World Series sweep, this time of the Rockies. But where was I? What was I doing? I was 28 years old. I was living in Philadelphia. I had a new job. I was in a new city, new living situation, grown-up apartment. And as I look back on it, at 28, even though you know I was working a full-time job and had come pretty, come pretty far professionally especially, from living in Worcester in 2004 to moving to New York City and then eventually to Philly, um, I was more playing the role of a grown-up than actually being a grown-up at the time. And I remember this title gave me the ability to breathe easy for a bit, especially now knowing um, some of the tough sledding that was going to occur for me professionally, personally, in the coming, you know, the next few years. That 07 title, I look back on fondly as like the only time I felt comfortable. <laughs> uh, during the latter part of 2007 and pretty much the, the early part of 2008. So it was good to have that little like week-long respite of accomplishment, even though I had nothing to do with it because I was just some guy in Philadelphia. I was not on the Red Sox. Newsflash. So 2013, I'm 34 years old. I'm working in Hanover, New Hampshire at Dartmouth College, and I'm living there during the week, but on the weekends, I'm living at Walnut Academy, the late great Walnut Academy with my brother, the aviator, and my cousin, Doug Brown, both of whom have been on this show in the past on the freestyle. And obviously the World Series was really important in the World Series, against this, again, this time again, the Cardinals, um, was, was, was the capstone. I feel like this was actually the World Series where um, I, think, I think the Sox um, had the least trouble in the ALCS relative to the Yankees won in 04 and the Indians won in 07. Though I'm sure, it, but it wasn't, without his drama. Once again, the ALCS proved to be the most drama-filled 
playoff round for the Red Sox in 2013. They played the Tigers, who had lights out pitching from both Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer. Um, and the Sox, I think they went down. They were definitely down 2-1. to one. Actually, maybe they weren't definitely down, but I think they were down 2-1. to one. It did not look good for them. They found a way to get it done. What do I remember about that series? Okay, so Roscoe P. and I, <clears throat> pundit Roscoe P. from Drilling Threes and I, were playing as our acoustic duo, the Stunners, in Northampton, Massachusetts. It was a Friday night. David Ortiz hit that famous home run where the, the, the police officer from Boston Boston PD in the bullpen with his arms up. That dude's like still famous today. It was... Uh, it was the marathon bombing year, the year when David Ortiz said, this is our effing city. It was the year when the Pats, ah, not the Pats, sorry, the Sox really were kind of put together with a bunch of young guys and a bunch of kind of grizzled veterans on one-time or one-year deals, kind of you know Shane Victorino-type guys that all kind of just gelled together out of nowhere. But I remember Roscoe and I were playing the show, and we were playing it in Northampton. And in 2013, or maybe even 2012, Get Lucky by Daft Punk was like the biggest song. And that was part of our act, even our acoustic act. We did a modified version of Get Lucky. And we hadn't played it yet. And we basically what happens when you're in a band and there's playoffs going on, you pretty much stop playing songs. And then during the commercials, you get to play a song or two. It's, it's, it's a little bit of a weird dynamic. But like they, they've already booked you <laughs> because they didn't know the Red Sox were going to be in the playoffs. So... You're kind of there. You're getting paid, but you're like picking your spots to play. So after um, Poppy hits this home run, it looks like the Sox are going to win that game, which is a pivotal game. We started playing "Get Lucky," and I remember we changed the words from "We're up all night to get lucky" to "We're up all night for Big Poppy." So a little bit of thing right there. But it, it just reminds me uh, of working the Sox into uh, a song while we were playing a show out in Northampton, Mass. I also remember celebrating and getting to watch those playoffs with my brother and my cousin Doug at Walnut Academy, which even though I was 34 versus 28 or 25, it really reminded me of kind of that college experience of when you're with your really good friends and you're, you live together so you watch every game together. It kind of reminded me of the 1999 ALCS, even though the Sox lost to the Yankees that year. But we were in college. We all had just so much fun having a few beers, screaming at the TV, being with friends. And, you know, I didn't really get that in 07, you know, and I really didn't get that as much in 04. But, you know, we got that in 13. So that was super cool. Um, That team was the Beards team. They all had crazy facial hair. It was like the facial hair zenith of the Red Sox. Again, as I mentioned a couple seconds ago, a perfect blend of youth and veterans who were having career years and good health. The team kind of came out of nowhere. And if you remember, 2012... They were like dead last. In 2014 and 15, they were also dead last. But in that year, John Farrell's first year, 2013, came out of nowhere, won the title. And that title was kind of the bridge championship between the 2010, um, sorry, the 2008 well, Celtics title and then the 2010 or 11, I'm sorry, Bruins title. And then before the Patriots kind of got back to the promised land against the Seahawks, that Red Sox 2013 title kind of kept this whole Boston 21st century momentum thing going that the Pats started back in 2001. And all my non-Boston fans listening to this are probably literally throwing up in their mouth for the 19th time during this podcast as I gush and gush and gush. But I'm sorry. But that was the bridge title between the Bruins getting their 2011 title and the Pats getting their fourth Super Bowl title. And here we are in 2018. And I'm going to bring JJ on in a second, but... 39 years old, 
living in Charlotte, North Carolina. This is the best regular Red Sox team in history. They set the Red Sox single season wins record this year. They have an amazing outfield. I'm going to always remember David Price finally getting over the hump to get his first playoff victory in a series clincher to win the ALCS and send the Sox to the World Series over a great Astros team after the Sox took care of a really strong Yankees team. Cindy Harrington, I'll always remember her narrating the end of Game 5 to me as I drove home from a work event in Winston-Salem. It was not exactly um, like listening to it on the radio, and that pundit Cindy Harrington doesn't usually call Red Sox games, but it was great to be able to get updates, and it was great that they were good they were good updates as the Sox won. As I was pulling into my driveway and parking my car, uh, they got the last out. Ben and got the last out, and Cindy Harrington made the call. Good for her, uh, for an audience of one. Dustin Pedroia in the final days of his career, basically a career that's already ended as a player, but me now thinking back how, how he was so vital in 07 and 13, and like this is such a full circle thing for him to go back to the World Series as kind of a glue guy, bench guy, mentor, versus I think in 07 or so, he was like the MVP. He certainly was the MVP at some point between 07 when they won and 13. He was just an unbelievable force of nature. And uh, interesting that he's get to, he gets to be a member of this team, but more, kind of more as a player coach, emphasis on the coach part and mentor part. So I have no idea what is going to happen in this World Series. None of us do. We'll ask JJ what he thinks. But I'm, it's so amazing that the two managers are former Red Sox players, two guys who are former world champions as players on the Red Sox, Alex Cora, obviously the Sox skipper, and then Dave Roberts, Dodgers manager. And like I can't imagine rooting against Dave Roberts. Last year, the Dodgers made the World Series. Dave Roberts was the manager. They're playing the Astros. Dodgers haven't won since 1988. And last year, the Sox gone and buried for the year, I had no problem. In fact, I was more than happy to root for Dave Roberts, a man who stole second base and changed the course of game four in the 2004 ALCS forever. And the Sox came back and won. And we've all always joked that Dave Roberts will never buy a drink in New England again. And the irony that he is managing against the Red Sox in a World Series and the thought of having to root against the success of Dave Roberts Something that I didn't think I'd ever have to worry about, but now I do. Like any true fan, you gotta go with who brung you, you gotta dance with your original date, and that's the Red Sox. But only in baseball are we gonna be rooting real hard against Dave Roberts, a guy who, again, will never, even, you know, regardless of what happens in this World Series, even if the Dodgers win, even if there's drama, I still just can't see us turning our back on Dave Roberts forever. I do hope, however, the Sox find a way to win. Coming up next, Jeremy Johnson. Thanks for indulging me in a little trip down memory lane. Best of luck to everybody in the World Series. Um, Go Sox. Here comes JJ of Man Cook Good. Ladies and gentlemen, as promised, the great Jeremy Johnson from Man Cook Good, from L.A. Not from L.A. He's in L.A. He's from Worcester. Let's get things straight. Jeremy, what's up? Calling from Los Angeles. Well said. Well said, sir. So I don't get any intro music? Are you, uh, am I entering in the uh, second part of the program? Yeah. Yes, this is act two. But, but I feel about to. I feel about to. <laughs> Watch out for the... <laughs> oh, man. No one does it like Jeremy. Guys, 
Guys, if you're listening, if you didn't hear when, when JJ and I were with Roscoe P trying to do a podcast live from Boise, <laughs> Idaho, uh, Jeremy's songs, songs and musings were, were a, a major part of the comedy. That was me. Yeah, it was either it was either intentional or unintentional, but it was actually really high comedy. All right, guys. So listen up. I mentioned this, I think, during my ramble before JJ got on. But this is a man who grew up in Massachusetts his whole life, and then after the Patriots won their first Super Bowl, promptly decided to move to Los Angeles. He's lived there ever since, which means every Boston championship, including all three Red Sox World Series in the 21st century, Jeremy has had to enjoy in Los Angeles, which makes him unique to discuss, in my opinion, not only being a Red Sox fan for this series, but doing so in enemy territory and having been in the belly of the beast for the better part of 20 years, 15, 15 to 20 years, right? So, holy cow, yeah. do we have the right guy to do this? You know what I mean? And I've been groomed for this for 16 years. I've been getting ready to do a Red Sox-Dodgers World Series podcast. It's unbelievable. It's like we sent you out there on purpose or something, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, thank you for paying for everything. It was, uh, you know, really we, took a little longer. We buried the lead. Yeah, you know, a, it's a project of ours. I think we call it a long play. Like that, remember that yeah, well. that movie that the guy made where the kid grew up over ten years and they had to like wait twenty years to produce the movie. Sure. Like long, long play. play, long yeah, play. Yeah. So Look at the Catholics, a long, slow. Play. <laughs> well said. So listen, man, let's just, let's start with the first thing. This is something we can all relate to as Boston Red Sox fans. How are you feeling about having to root against the success of Boston cult hero Dave Roberts? Ah, uh, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a problem with that at all. I mean, it's not like it's like he, I mean, he played a he, he played a, a bit part, like a great, like a really important role. But it's not like I'm rooting against like David Ortiz or. I don't know. I mean, for the way I see it, once you take the laundry off, like I'll have some sentiment for you. But like, I'm rooting for the shirt. Beautiful. You know, I, when I'm rooting for the Red Sox, I'm rooting for the people I grew up with. I'm rooting for the Italian grinder down the street. I'm rooting for home. You know. So, yeah, man. Like there are guys that wear the shirt that I I really uh, like a lot, and I'd hate to see them leave the team. And there are guys that wear the shirt that I can't stand, but. I root for laundry at the end of the day. And Dave Roberts, like, I, I owe him a, a lot of happiness. But at this point, you're not on the bus, so, you know, get out of the way. <laughs> awesome. I like that. Which, which makes the next question not have to be asked, which is, do you have any, do you have any t- torn feelings at all? I just want people to know that you don't, but I want no, to. No, no, I definitely don't. I do, you know, I, I like, I've grown to appreciate the Dodgers because – they, they, you know, they have good fans, and the basic take is that LA has terrible sports fans, and I just think it's just it's kind of played out, and it's it's boring because people talk about the the people in the front rows and the reality stars and the, and the people like like yeah, LA's got its things, believe me, but you know it's like ten million people live here, you know, like there's a millions and millions of people that get up and go to work every day, just like people in Massachusetts, you know, New England doesn't have the the market cornered on hard work, and, you know, gritty, grittiness. And just because it's nice out here year round, it does take away some of the edge, but there's a lot of really good sports fans here. And the Dodgers do have their fans and they are good baseball fans. Got and uh, They've earned my respect over the years. I, I had a pretty standard New Englanders take on um, Southern California sports fans for probably my first 10 years. But once you start to dig a little deeper, 
you see that you know there, there's a lot of passion here and um they just don't dominate the uh, market share like new england does but they probably outnumber them it's just they don't have the the, the areas consciousness quite like new england teams do correct there's just so many people and there's so many of them are from somewhere else so many teams and, too right i mean you've got two out two you know i know that the angels are in orange county and anaheim and i know now you have two football teams that seems like you only want one of them and you didn't you know yeah, but yeah. it's a really tough combo. We're, we're talking about like a, a city the size of Rhode Island. Yes. And with <laughs> the population, the combined population are probably like most of New England. Right. So if you haven't like spent any time out of New England, it's hard to wrap your head around the scale of how massive L.A. and California is. It took me a long time. I still am baffled by the state, by this region, and it's what a powerhouse it is culturally and economically. There's just so many bleeping people, and you'll forget until you try to do something during peak hours, and then you're like, "Holy cow!" Oh, what a nightmare! <laughs> like there were colors red on Google Maps you've never even seen. You know, like just dark ass purple. There's like a purple, yeah. <laughs> during like like daylight savings time, you're like, "Whoa, whoa, what is that?" Like, it's like pulsating, you know. The road is literally so, the road is literally bleeding. Um, you know, there's parts of LA that are like Dodger town, and um, you know the, the Dodgers have the real fans, the Lakers have their fans, and you know the Kings have like twenty thousand fans, but they go to every game. So that's like the, that's like the know. New York Rangers, though. I mean, they, right. they you know they have twenty they have twenty fans, twenty thousand fans, excuse me, but they go to every game. Um, let me ask you this because this was a question that I didn't know how I was going to ask, but you kind of gave me the opening with the Lakers piece. Boston and L.A. have this really unlikely deep rivalry thanks to the greatness of the Celtics and Lakers over the last 50, you know, 40 years. You know, and yeah. they, they've been good at the same time a lot. They've been good at different times as well. I think the, the only ones that you've specifically experienced, obviously, were the 2008 and 2010 NBA Finals. You were in L.A. for those. Celtics yeah. won the first one, lost the second one. Um, do you think there's anything you can – like? Clearly, it sounds like the city that you're in is so big that someone could be a Lakers fan and not necessarily be as big of a Dodgers fan. So I guess, number one, is it going to be the same? Is there anything you can glean from it, or is it going to be totally different because it's just baseball instead? You know, it'll be different. I, I think the Lakers are number one in this town. Yeah. And uh, maybe they'll always be number one, but the Dodgers are number two, but they're not the same hatred of the Red Sox. Right. And, you know, Dodger fans, they pay attention to more baseball, like, league-wide than Red Sox fans do. I think being on the West Coast helps. You know, a lot of the games, they are on when they're awake. Yes, and, <laughs> that helps. Um, <laughs> you know, like, you, you watch more national broadcasts here, whereas, like, on the East Coast, and especially in New England, it's like, if it's not on Essen, like, people are just like, eh, whatever. So... I think that there's a there's a respect and a fear of the Red Sox. Um, I think the Dodger fan is convinced that the team's going to choke really? when it matters. Like, they are scared. Most of the ones I've talked to are scared to death. Um, their closer isn't even closing games for them anymore. Jansen is like, it's like he's got to be hurt or something because he's, he's a, a wreck. Anytime they put him in, everybody just, like, flips out. <laughs> I think that we flip out when, like, Kimbrel, Kimbrel comes in and, like, they would, they would kill someone for our problems, you know. Um, and, you know, the Dodgers, they got a good team, but they're, you know, they're they're not 
as deep as the Red Sox. I don't think anyone is. It doesn't mean they can't win a seven game series, but they're they're kind of like the Red Sox light. Yeah, you know they're they're lefty heavy, and you know like they got Clayton Kershaw is kind of like a mix between Chris Sale's frailness and David Price's you know chokiness and <laughs> you know like I like that. <laughs> Ryu, Ryu, and, and, and you know Porcello have some similarities in terms of you know their mediocre performance at times, but other times they're unhittable. And they've got some power, and they've got some speed, and they got some youth, and they've got their mascot Justin Turner. You know the guy with the big like you know red beard. You know the thing about that red beard when he takes it, you'll see it in the series. They'll, they'll see him. You'll you'll see him take his helmet off. With wet hair, and you'll see that red beard is just—it's just because just he's going bald, Kevin. It's really sad. Like, oh really? He's got all that hair, and then there's this big growing like Pangea uh, on the back top of his head. It's just, oh, it's bad. It's it's happening, you know. Yeah, it's kind of like very much less extreme case, but Manu Ginobili, formerly of the Spurs, you know, just as Manu's yeah. career as Manu's career went on and on and on, it took him a long time to acknowledge that you just gotta you gotta your bald spot's getting bigger and you can't have regular hair and like a bald Tom, spot. When Tom Brady grew his hair out, he was doing that because he had to hide the hair plugs. So when Tom had that long hair that drove all of us crazy, like we, we had no credibility arguing in favor of Tom Brady he had that hair. Yes. Yeah, that was all because he had, he was going to see the hair doctor, you know. And really? I had no idea. That's a hot take. Yeah. Huh. He and Jules, um, there's the same hair doctor. They got the same guy. He's on EI. It's Dr. Le- it's Dr. Harvey, Dr. Leonard or whatever. Yeah. He, yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah he, he does, uh, he did Wes, he did Wes Welker's hair. He does, yeah. Right. Same yeah. guy. Yeah. Now, like, nobody can say that Tom did it, like, because, like, they'll get, like, sued. But it's implied once in a while, you know, like, kind of, like, off, off mic, like, last year, you know. Uh, but yeah, that's the that's the thing though. You grow your hair out, and then you get the plugs, and you can't see the plugs. And then once they like settle in, then you can cut out your hair normal again. Oh, dude, I I knew not, I knew about none of this. I mean, you're a full headed hair of a man, and I, and I, yeah, I, I sure am. It is so thick, it is and, I, and I actually am too. And I know that I'm not gaming the system, and. Um, and, uh, you, you got you got a good nice hairline there, and you're not gaming the system. So I just assumed that guys like Tom Brady can't have it all, but apparently he had to go to Harvey Leonard or whoever. Not Harvey well, Leonard. He he's a weatherman. Just get the money, and Giselle is probably like, look, this right out of line. Yep, and you know what? As Jeremy likes to say, once a podcast, I'll say it for him. It's all about the money. It's America, isn't it? <laughs> it is America, and so there you go. You get uh, two of the highest payrolls in baseball. Not surprising, right? But. Um, what do the Dodgers do that you think they do better than the Astros and or the Yankees did, and therefore the Sox fans should be worried? Anything? I mean, again, baseball is baseball. Uh, I mean, double switch, you know, like, it's like, they don't even have really like a DH. Like, we're, we're talking about like playing Mookie at second so we can get like all of our good hitters in. Like, the Wait. Dodgers... The Dodgers and the Red Sox have the highest payroll in baseball, and they're both very flawed teams, which is interesting. You yeah. know, neither one of them is a complete team. And some of that is injury, and some of that is, you know, like roster planning. But um, I, I don't know if they do anything better than the Yankees or the Astros. Maybe they um, they pitch better than the Yankees, starting pitching. Yep. Um, 
you know, Astros, I guess we all, they were all, we thought they were a lot better than they were because they kind of threw up on themselves a little bit um, when the pressure um, ratcheted up in yeah. this series. But, you know, you know, it's hard to keep winning world championships. It's well, hard. Well, you need, it's hard you need to watch them. I mean, weren't you, like, I was, like, having, like, palpitation in that game four. Like, I'm like, Oh, I can't handle it. Man. So it's like, yeah. forget how hard it is to watch your baseball team in playoffs. It, it is the most like there are so many things in life that are draining, but none of them sneak up on you the way that playoff baseball does. Because yeah. we, it's literally, and I like this is not a hot take. Everybody knows this, but you get reminded when your team is in the playoffs, and every round it goes a level higher. That this sport that you watch from April to Labor Day and sleep. And like procrastinate mowing your lawn or painting your house or doing your bills and you or you do any of those things while also listening to those on the radio become this all-consuming 27 out like nail-biting stomach turning experience. And you're right, like I benefited the other evening for game four of being on the East Coast and having traveled all day. And essentially I started falling asleep before Kimberl came in, and I literally woke up as the announcers were going crazy that Ben Intendi made that catch. And I was like, wait, is that real? Did that just happen? And I missed the entire heart attack that Craig Kimbrell gave to every other awake Red Sox fan in America. So I got the express version and it was great. But the problem is, that was a one-time thing. I'm usually then up for three hours afterwards because I've been right. screaming at the television at the top of my lungs by myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, like, you know, I've been, I start the game at work on my phone streaming audio and then I come home and um, we have dinner and I hang out with my daughter with the game on either on a headphone in my ear or on the iPad mini up on the counter Um, and then we get her down and I'll miss like an inning or something and then I switch the game from the iPad to the television and then I finish the game on the television and I was still, I mean, I have to get up really early, so I go to bed pretty early. But I, like, stayed up later than I wanted to stay up for all week for those games. And I was like, I was gassed. I'm like, game five came around. I'm like, there's three games in a row? Like, what the yeah, hell? I'm thinking, I can't do this. Yeah, they're not having a day of rest. another game? Like, you know, like, my God. Yeah. Them not having a day of rest in between three, four, and five threw me for a loop, too. And I'm just like... Thank God they won in five because I don't think I would have had. I mean, thank or, or and or thank God that we really had a night off and then the next day was a weekend because, holy cow! I don't like the two three two format. I agree. I don't know what the better option is. I mean, you do two two one one one. I mean, God, you imagine doing that with the Dodgers and Red Sox? Like, that's not helping the product. No, no. That and in this in this particular this situation, I think. I think that's that's 100% right on your part. Um, I do think if, if it was like, let's say it was, uh, you know, L.A. And no, L.A. is far from everything. But like, oh, yeah, let's say it was L.A. versus uh, the, the Oakland A's. Like, that would be great to go 2-2-1-1-1. But, yeah, but they can't change it. Like, no, I know, I know. Being at the mercy of broadcast partners and uh, setting these schedules way in advance. It's, they can't just, like, make an intelligent choice. Right. You're just, just stuck. kind of stuck with it you know and you know they, they eight thirty nine start time like what 
the hell was that? Right. TBS. And, and, and like, what is on TBS that you could not draw a better rating starting at like seven oh eight? Like, what? Are, I mean, what, dude, see, season season six reruns of Big Bang Theory really draw. I mean, they really. Is <laughs> seven and eight like? Well, also, you're pushing back, like, you're basically canceling Conan for that night. So you can show the Red Sox game later. Like, can't Conan go on early? Like, what What the hell? So any, Conan's, Conan's got to love baseball season. He, like, his whole crew probably gets a paid hiatus. Yeah. Because they've been on so long. So, like, his, like, his crew is like, oh, this is awesome. You know, they do some prep work. They knock off early. They don't have to work till, like, you know, midnight. That's great. Yeah, so it's good for, good for the crew. Um, all right, let's get let's get to the stadium real quick. Dodger Stadium, by all I've never been there, though I have been to LA. Uh, I hear it's a beautiful setting. I hear it's a nice stadium. I hear it's a great place to watch a game. Um, what what do you think the ratio of Red Sox fans to Dodgers fans will be in that stadium? I think it'll probably be like seventy five Dodger fan, twenty five tops thirty Red Sox fan. Okay. Um, Dodger Stadium is a great place to watch a night game. Yeah. Um, if you go there for a day game and you don't get seats in the shade, that's the pro tip. If you're ever going to a Dodger game and it's a day game, scout out your seats. Make sure they're under one of the um, overhangs because it is like hell <laughs> on earth. If you go to a game in July, a day game, and you're sitting in like the sun-facing seats, like, you might have to see the paramedics by the end of the day. You're drinking beer, you're eating crappy food, and then you just get in with that dehydration at like six inning, you're red, you're like, what's going on? <laughs> that happened to me in Anaheim once, and I was like, never again. I know better now. You know, it was like an extra innings game where the Red Sox, I like, think, did a hit for like eight innings straight, and I was like, we're going to lose. Why am I still here? And we lost, and I wish I had left earlier. But the Dodger Stadium is an amazing park to watch a night game because the weather is perfect, the scenery is beautiful, the uh, the the park has got tradition. They got the, they got an old woman on the organ playing like pop covers. Dude, the songs that she plays, she's going bananas. It's like a mini game in there, just picking up the beat faster than you know the guy next to you. Oh, so you guys are doing name that tune? Oh. It, <laughs> There's so much to do at Dodger game because the fans are pretty distracted. Like they're not not on every pitch like a Red Sox fan is. That doesn't mean they're into the game, but they, they got other stuff going on. They got Instagram stories. They're, so like, there's a ton going on at Dodger game that's like part of the experience, you know. Yeah. And it's a great. It's blue collar opera, man. It's it's a great experience. Blue collar opera. That's a great. That's a great phrase. Nailed it. I like Pat it. Patent pending. Patent <laughs> Yeah. It's all about the money. Patent pending. I wrote that. I wrote that. Yeah, blue <laughs> collar opera. I love yeah, it. I got, I got a friend who, um, his father-in-law has seats that are like your, your feet on the Red Sox dugout for the wow. World Series. And I just know I'm not going to get a taste of that at all. And I hit up one of my buddies with season tickets this morning. No response. It's just like, I am... I really want to go to a game, but I'm going to play the secondary ticket market. I'm going to ride it out to like two hours before the game and see if I can get in. They were at 600 before the Dodgers won. Oof. They bumped up to 850. This is for nosebleeds. They bumped up to 850 when the Dodgers won. They're down to 600 again. 
but there's still about 9,000 seats left. And this is where I have the advantage. The Dodger Stadium fits like 55,000 It's huge. It's huge. Yeah. So I think I can get in the door for 150. And if I can, um, I'll probably go, go to the game. <laughs> I mean, I think it's amazing. Like, here's the thing. And we touched on this earlier. You've, you, you've never stopped and you never will stop being a Sox fan. But the fact that they're coming to your hometown, your adopted hometown, you know, where you live, yeah. you got to find a way in. I mean, I got, yeah, I mean, I, within reason, I am going to try and get in on a Saturday. It's game four. Yeah, nice. Because Friday I work and I may work late enough where I won't be able to make it happen. And Sunday, you know, might not happen. And, you know, I, I, I got family, you know, obligations and I got other things to do. So Saturday's the night. You know, I think that I can pull it off. Well, that, that's we'll a that's a nice. Seg- I, I go to the games in Anaheim. Ever doing that before the Anaheim before the Eagles sucked? I went to playoff games, Red Sox playoff games every year. It seemed, we, and mm-hmm. we were clinching there left and right. It was like it was an incredible place to watch playoff game. I get in for like forty bucks, and and then we'd have a party in their field. You know, what, what it was, was amazing. What was the ratio at those ALDS ALCSs back in the day with with the Angels? I'd, I'd put it more at like thirty five percent Red Sox fan, maybe forty tops. Okay, but but then like over the course of a nine inning game, that fluctuates because in the beginning of the game, Red Sox fans are there early because yeah. they're there for either they travel three thousand miles, which some people do that, yeah, or they're they're you know expats, which there's a ton of us here, um, so I get there early because they're fired up, and Angel fans trickle in. And then, you know, if things turn sour in the late innings, like, there's, like, an exodus. Like, they're like, let's get out of here. This place is going to be hideous. There's going to be happy Red Sox fans everywhere. So, you know, if you if you take, like, the way they do, like, the Nielsen ratings, like, like the aggregate, it's probably 50-50 or better. But if you actually, like, go on, like, tickets sold versus, like, T-shirts worn, then I'd say it's, like, you know, they've got us outnumbered, like, you know, seven to three or something but um we're louder and we're there the whole game so it feels like there's more of us yeah but so you're so essentially you're saying that the dodger fans are one the stakes are higher because it is for the world series and two it's just a it's just a better deeper fan base yeah yeah there there's some really good dodger fans out there man they love baseball and they love their dodgers and you know, that's why it's, it's such a crime what Time Warner Cable's done with them. I don't know how much has trickled out, but Time Warner Cable bought like the 25-year exclusive broadcasting rights to the Dodgers. Yep. And they um, are like, they jacked up the per subscriber cost for uh, like third-party networks like DirecTV and Dish Network. So you can, and they were like, no, we're not doing it. So you can only watch the Dodgers and like half the Laker games if you have Time Warner Cable. And Time Warner Cable, incidentally, has, like, the, you know... The worst. The worst. It's, like, the worst company in, like, the country. Yeah, I, yeah. They have to change their name. Yeah, it's a Spectrum. Them so much. We have Spectrum. They're, it's just... It's disturbing. And that the Dodgers would allow this to happen. You've got so many kids growing up right now that they can't even watch the Dodgers. So, basically, like, they're murdering the Dodgers fan base for the future. They're cutting the legs out from underneath them. And a lot of those payments were front-loaded. That's why they're, like, spending so much money on payroll now. It's why the Angels spent a lot of money on, like, pool holes and, like... The Angels did the same thing with FS1, though, or Fox Sports, you know, whatever it is, Fox Sports Anaheim, whatever they are. Yeah. But they um, they front-load a lot of that money. 
So they spent all this money on like Josh Hamilton and Pujols and whatever, and these like players that like now like a lot of that quarter billion dollars is gone. So now like they're back to being like a team that doesn't have a TV deal as lucrative as like for instance the Yankees and Red Sox have their own networks, right? Who just like pile in that money every year, just like another another round of money from ratings, you know. So, but the Dodger fan is a substantially better fan than uh, Angel fan. Um, on the you know on the the median definitely got it all right so a couple things i want to plug number one jj and i on the very brief pre-show decided we are going to do instant reaction show podcasts after each of the world series games which will be easy well, at least we're going to aspire to do that jj's got a better shot because he is three hours behind us all on the east coast <laughs> But at the very least, I think, we, I think we can do an immediate recap show. But the one wrinkle I want to add to that, for the two games that are at Dodger Stadium, if you go to one, obviously that's a little different. But I want us to highlight our favorite songs played by the organ player at Dodger Stadium during the night. Okay? <laughs> yeah. I think that'll be a fun freestyle-only type activity. So that's sure. something we should do. Um, and we can pretty much leave it there. I mean, I, 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 well, before that. Let's let's go. I would I'd like to give you the chance to do this as quickly or as unquickly as you would like, sir. It is your right. Where does this World Series team stack up with the, the other three teams that happen to have won it in the in the 21st century for you? What sticks out with these guys that's different? What you know, win, lose, yeah. or draw? What do you like? Well, like, up, you know, in 04 we had the the impossible redemption dream. Yes. Know? Yes. Um, for me, 2007 was the only kind of stress-free World Series that we won. Mm-hmm. Even though we were down, I think we were down like three games to one or two games to nothing to the Indians or something. Correct. That 07 team was wire to wire, and they were complete. They had they had everybody in place, yep. and everybody was pretty reliable. They had youth, they had veterans, they had power, they had speed, they had relief pitching, starting pitching, the whole thing. Uh, 13 came out of nowhere. Yes. I felt like I was playing with house money the whole time and I didn't really get super stressed out until like we hit like the World Series no the Tigers Tig- the Tigers was tough yeah because they were better than us yes we weren't supposed to beat them we found it's always they, stressful they were a much better team um, and so now uh, this year has been really stressful because we're supposed to be better than our track record our talent is better than like we got we got more credit than we have in the bank, you know? Yes. Like, we should be winning these games. We should be the best team in baseball. They have a lot of flaws, especially the regular season bullpen. Um, but there's just so many unknowns for a team. Like, I keep saying to like, friends of mine, like, this is the worst 108-win team in the history of baseball. <laughs> like, especially because down the stretch, like, if you if you look at the way that they lost a lot of their games, yep. like, you could have won 120 yeah, they, like they, they almost every game they lost was winnable, which is a testament to how good they are. But like, so it's like feeling like if they don't win the World Series, like it's a failure of a season, is a new feeling to me. Yeah, like and also because like the the Yankees are the Yankees, are the boogeyman, and they also won a hundred games, and they're stacked. And then the Astros are a fantastic baseball team, and they're loaded from top to bottom. And they were standing in our way, and 
to win the way they did, like I feel like we got a little bit of house money here. But you and I know better than anyone that if they don't win the World Series, this is a fail. Yeah. Like ultimately, we're gonna look back on this. Like you don't look back on the on the '07 Patriots nope. and be like, "Oh man, what a run!" Nope. No, you look. You think back on like Rodney Harris not dislodging that ball from you David know, Tyree's Tyree helmet, head. Yep. And, and like, and, and uh, it just every every championship loss hurts more than if it lost like the wild card round or the division round or anything because you can taste it. Well, you, you can remember the exact moment when, like, it just slipped through your fingers. You yeah, totally. So I, I do feel like they've got the advantage across the board against this team, and they would have had it definitely against the Brewers. But you still got to play the games, and yep. the Dodgers are there for a reason. They've been scuffling with injuries all year. They've got some, you know, big time starting pitching. They've got some some real punchy, you know, clutch hitters. They got a bunch of guys that can hit the ball out of the ballpark. Yep. And at the end of the day, it's best of seven. It's not best of one hundred and sixty-two. So yep. you only so many good, only so many guys that can play. You know, at a time, no matter how deep you are, yep. there's a chance somebody might go to bench. So small sample you know, size. Yeah, I mean, I, I love it. I feel like I've been, like, pissed off at them all year. They've almost lost so many games that they should have won easier. Yeah. And it's hard to fault them for that. They keep finding a way to come out. Like, Craig people doesn't get it up until there's two guys on base. Like, he's like he's like Hugh Hefner of closing games. Like, <laughs> he needs more than yeah. your average man to get his heart rate up. Right. That's well said. If you know what I mean. You know, like I do. <laughs> it's unbelievable how he continues to wriggle out of these jams, and you're like, "When is the curtain?" I just feel like with the Red Sox, when is the other shoe going to drop? And that's what it comes down to. Yes. When is the other shoe going to drop? When, like, eventually, Cora is not going to make the perfect call with <clears throat> with a roster move. Eventually, like Kimbrel's not going to get that like 400 foot out right and the game on a like, dive. Yeah. Like, you know, Sanchez in the Yankees series, like, hit the, if he hits the ball a quarter of an inch higher on the ball, it goes out of the park. And we're talking about a whole nother world, you know? Like, yeah. It, but, like, you know, Ben Intendi on that catch in game four, right before the game, right before the play, he looks at his little card that they pull out of their hat in between everything. And this is direct Alex Cora influence. Yep. Takes a step and a half to his right and forward. <laughs> <laughs> and proceeds to catch the ball by like a scrap of rawhide. Yeah. You know, like, and this is what we're dealing with. Like, and Cora, he, he announces that, you know, Chris Sale is going to be the game one starter and probably Price in game two. But, you know, I'm going to sit down with the analytics staff and I'm going to sit down with, um, with, um, you know, uh, Dombrowski and we're going to run through a bunch of scenarios. So I'm not going to announce anything officially right now. Like, what? What are we dealing with here? We're dealing with like a, a manager that can actually communicate like clearly. Like, you remember what we were dealing with with Farrell? Yeah, the fact that John Farrell won three division titles in the World Series, but had that buttress by two last place years, means that like that was the and, pay. And 15, 15 game difference. I know JD Martinez no, a big difference. No question. Like Fifteen game difference. Like, think of how many. Like, for instance, that Benintendi catch. The fact it was almost like. 
you know, Malcolm Butler, like, yes. knowing yes. that play because of coaching, he's like, oh, my God, this is the play. I just have to break on the ball, break on the ball, break on the ball. And Browner's like, oh, wow, it's the play. I'll just skip this guy at the line. And, oops, we won the Super Bowl. Yeah. Like, that's what coaching does. Yeah. And that, like, you prepare for everything. And if it sticks with the players, it might come up. And in baseball, you can adjust these guys every single pitch. Every second, and they right. they are. It's insane. Yeah. You go to a game now, if you've been to a live game and you watch the fielders adjust themselves, especially the Red Sox, it's incredible. They, they go pitch to pitch. They go count to count. They're moving around. You got there's, suddenly there's like nobody a third. Then there's like you know there's like two right fielders. <laughs> I, I'm like, what am I watching? And yeah, and yet and next thing you know, the guy hits the ball right at the extra player. Right. And it's it's just we're watching a new era in baseball, and we've got the right coach for it, and we got the right staff for it, and it's really like it's remarkable, but it does feel like a house of cards a little bit. Right. Well, that's and I'll tell you that actually helps me bring it, maybe bring it home, which is, you know how like our grandparents' generation, and this is much more serious in baseball, but they actually had to live through the depression, and so they are very wary of conserving resources no matter what because something might go wrong, and they remember when it was bad. Yeah. I think our childhood was the Boston sports version of that, in which it always either was bad. Or almost good, and then it was wrong, and then it went right, wrong, right. and then the shoe dropped, and so it's a little and bit. Almost got a job, but then he got fired before he even started, and we're still poor. Right, <laughs> right. Or like all we got to do is make this bus to get to the job interview, but the bus driver was drunk and crashed the bus, and Mr. Carruthers didn't hire mom. So, <laughs> so you know, and and so like I think guys like me and you who are you know pushing forty are we still think like Len Bias is going to tragically overdose or Larry Bird's back's going to go out or the Red Sox are cursed or Drew Bledsoe can never win the big one or you know Ray Bork we're going to cheer for him on the Rockies or whatever the Avalanche because we can't win we stink let's we love Ray Bork I tell people that I meet who hate me because of the teams I root for instantly I say look I grew up a loser like I yeah. identify with you you're a loser yeah you, you root for loser teams yeah. you hate me because my teams win and I understand that, but I identify because I self-identify. I'm a cis loser, um, to use the terminology of the day for gender. I identify as a loser. A cis loser, but yet, yeah. Yeah, we win. We win all the time, and we but, continue but, to win. But, like, we can't embrace it. Like, like people who have people who have kids who are, like, 15 or 16 years old, like, they're those fans. They're winners, yeah. They're winners. You and I oh, grew right. up losers. We, we're just waiting to be losers again. We, we can't even when really enjoy last, this. Yeah, when is the last championship? Has it already happened? You yeah. know what I mean? Like, we call it, we, this is why, like, you know, Sports Talk Radio is, like, waiting for Brady and Belichick to, like, break up and the Patriots to suck again. Like, they might not suck again. They have good ownership. But, like, we just assume, like, they will suck, we will pay, Karma will get us. Yes. We can't keep doing this without paying for twice as long. But maybe, Kevin, the difference is our teams have good ownership now. We have good fans that spend money in a good market in a new era of sports. Yeah. Where I think you're right. It starts with the owners. It starts with the size of the market. And if they hire the right people, they're going to be okay. It's going to be good. Yeah. I agree and with maybe that. Maybe that's just what it is. Yeah, and this I think isn't the '80s anymore. Yeah, and I think you and I just at some point we're either going to get on the bandwagon or we're going to always be those guys who will never forget. But we're the last of that generation. Like, 
like people who are 10 years younger than us don't have this problem that you and I have and that like our grandparents had, you know? Yeah, I mean, that, mean, that puts them at like, you know, 11, 12 years old where you're just trying to come into your peak as a child sports fan where you can stay up late enough to watch most of the games. That's when the Patriots won their first Super Bowl. And then they came of age as like teenagers and through college and now they're like working like young professionals and all they've known are parades, championships, MVPs. They didn't deal with the losses. They didn't, I mean, if they didn't survive 2003 like we did. Oh, still know exactly where I was. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. And that, that one stings more than if 04 felt good, even though 04 felt great. You know what I mean? Here's the funny thing. We have traded more players with the Dodgers yes. in the last yes. 16 years yes. than we have played them. Yes. We play them so rarely. And yet, I mean, think of the, we traded them Manny. We traded them Nomar. Okay, we can rid of Carl Crawford, Adrian Gonzalez, and Josh Beckett. And Texas Nick tough guy. <laughs> in the Nick Punto trade. You know, in the like, Nick Punto trade. Shredder. We reset our franchise on that trade. We reset our franchise with the Manny trade. We got Dave Roberts from them, if you remember correctly. Correct. Um, like, our history with the Dodgers is so tightly intertwined as, like, this, like, this perfect trade partner because they have money, we have money. They're they need- on the other side in the other league and the other, you know, the other division. Yep. We're in the opposite end. Right. Like, they need we stars. We have stars we want to get rid of because they don't like Boston. Right. And vice versa. Like, Correct. they have guys that, like, they need to get rid of. But, you know, it's like sometimes the pieces work. And for instance, the Nick Punto trade. That brought us the 2013 World Series. Yes. Because that reset the salary, got us under the luxury tax, let us sign that, like, that gangly batch of hairy guys who won the World Series. And now here we are. We're here. We're playing. This is the Nick Punto Cup. The Nick Punto Cup. We got, we we don't have to leave it there, but we need to leave it there because nobody was going to do better than that. Ladies and gentlemen, the 2018 World Series, a.k.a. the Nick Shredder Punto Cup, Coming to you live from the filibuster freestyle. Everybody, for God's sake, do what Jeremy has always been saying on your iPhone, on your iPad. Go to the podcast app, type in filibuster freestyle, and subscribe, baby. We need you. More JJ coming your way, plus the midterms around the corner, and you know JJ's going to weigh in on that. You just know it. I know it. You know it. Nick Punto knows it. JJ, thanks for being on tonight, man. Thanks, Kev. Good night, everyone.